come that we might be lifted up so that we can lift you up that everyone can see that you are the omnipotent. You have all power and you're so kind and so gracious to share some of it with us. So we just thank you for whatever comfort this afternoon that it blesses us in a special way. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Is there is there anyone else? I don't want to overlook anyone else. But I did want to share with you briefly a couple of things this afternoon. Uh, and um, it's really coming from Matthew, the 20th chapter. And um, starting at verse number 30, Matthew 20, starting at verse number 30. This is a New American Standard Bible 1995 update. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Move with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. We have spent several months going through the books of Samuel's, Samuel, and we are coming down to the end now, but we have so much exciting things going on through that study on Thursday night from 7 to 7.30. I think by now I should have established the overarching theological implication of the life of David in terms of typology, anti-typology, shadowing, foreshadowing, paralleling, and all the other similarities that it has for many of the patriarchs, starting with Abraham, and even implication with Adam and Eve, and, and, and Eve themselves. 
and you know we'll touch upon some of them, but the the implication, the study of how David is impactful historical and biblical and archaeological is quite vast. Uh, there's even a study of the theology of David in the New Testament. And we can give it different names as we choose. There's no question that perhaps no other figure from the Old Testament loom as large as David in the New Testament. The Old Testament to the New Testament. There's this relationship that we try to be careful about, at least I try to be careful about, this analogous, the analogy of David to Jesus. And I try to emphasize that that's an anti-polish, anti Typing that that uh, when you think about David' mistakes, his shortcoming, his sinning, and so forth, to Jesus because Jesus was just the opposite. But then there's so many similarities of how we can see Jesus as we study the life of David, as I said, in typology. As a formal study, when you compare people and places and characters of the Bible to each other, I I I I wanted to share something specific here because in Matthew twenty, this was just before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem as he approached Jerusalem and came into Bethpage and stopped by the Mount of Olives. In one of our episodes, one of our classes, uh, more than one of our classes, uh, at least two or three, we talk about the great typology of David to the Mount of Olives and to uh, Jesus himself, the weeping and uh, other things that uh, Jesus experienced, and David too. Uh, David had run there uh, when he was being chased by his son Absalom, at least threatened. Absalom was threatening him to kill him. So uh, it, that is some of the backdrop, although it comes afterward. It still ties in chapter 21, still ties into chapter 20 in a meaningful way. Oh, I could have picked out so many, so many, many uh, things about David as it relates to uh, Jesus. 
for this afternoon, but I, I chose this particular segment, uh, this particular passage, pericope, as we call it, for at least one particular reason. Uh, it's one of the things I was saying this morning in a sermon that I gave was that uh, sometimes there's some what would appear to be insignificant words, insignificant uh, clauses or insignificant sentences, insignificant stories, many times insignificant names. But if they're in the Bible, they have significance. Like I have told people so many times, you know, it's not like, you know, word processing today or typewriter in the past. It's not that people had copious uh, means of writing things down. So they, they, were, they were pretty frugal. And, and, and they just didn't write stuff unnecessarily. That would be another way of putting it. So everything, everything, everything that is written uh, in ancient manuscript, including the Bible, uh, it's not wasted. So this story, like I said, my emphasis today is, as I was thinking about what I was preaching this morning, is about and what would it seem like for a lot of us insignificant uh, in terms of David that he, uh, uh, David is mentioned in relationship uh, to Jesus throughout the book of Matthew. So that's not unusual that you had two guys. Uh, sitting by the side of the road, shouting out uh, to Jesus, calling him the son of David. Jesus has healed both of them. He touched their eyes. At this point of Jesus' ministry, to some it might be even somewhat mundane. Jesus touched other people's eyes. He gave sight to the blind, to others. People, including blind Bartimaeus, uh, shouted out to David. It's a segment, uh, a passage of scripture that we can easily gloss over. And I imagine many people do, including me. I, 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 I don't hear this particular passage of scripture spoken a lot of. It don't seem to be as dramatic and as exciting as the as I quoted before some other some previous uh times that Jesus healed people and uh, gave sight to the blind, the that boy that uh, the the synagogue people were so upset they wanted to put their family out of the synagogue or this person that saw uh, 
a little bit at first. You saw men like trees walking, or however you interpret that, or trees like men walking. Uh, you know, it's not as exciting as the Bartimaeus who, you know, dramatically, you know, shouted out pretty much the same thing and 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 the crowd seemed to have been so much more excited and trying to stop him from shouting out the name of Jesus. So I said, well let's share a little bit of why how this might touch and bless us this afternoon as we take a fresh look at it and as we consider a certain aspect about it in the light of, for instance, if you have been taking the, uh, if you were taking the Bible studies with us on Thursday night, might even be more meaningful. It has to do with how much have been written, books and lots of commentaries about this heart of God, this David uh, having this heart of God. And this doesn't come out of verse 34, 34 rather, where it says, move with compassion. Of course, that's an important part of what happened here. It comes out of the very old uh, context how David many times in the midst of crisis was considerate to others, was helping others, was trying to protect others. We went over that over and over on Thursday nights. Here is Jesus knowing fully well that this triumphal entry into Jerusalem will result in his crucifixion. That he would go into that garden there to pray and ask that the cup be taken away from him, but saying, it's not my will, it's your will, Father. He is agonizing as chapter Twenty ends. He's agonizing. He knows what he's facing. Yet he stopped and called them two blind men. He knew that he would be hung on the cross between two malefactors 
two revolutionary people. You know, he knew that one would accept him and the other would be skeptical. But he is passing by. A good uh, interpretation, exegetical, exegetical understanding of the text might lead us to believe that he may or may not have necessarily seen them in the crowd, like Bartimaeus and so forth. He may have been just hearing their voice. I knows all things because he's the son of God, but still yet one would get the impression that he had gone a little further from where they were. But he certainly heard their cry, just like he hear our cries, our petitions. Even if we feel at times that Jesus doesn't see us. And as we get down our knees and we cry out for mercy, we know fully well that the son of David, Jesus, is going to stop. And he's going to minister unto us. What do you want me to do for you? God sees our needs and he knows our needs. Verse 32 is full of intellectual musing. Because verse 31 simply said, have mercy on us. They're together and they're speaking as one, calling out to the son of David. They know that with the great tradition and religious understanding of David that this person would have heard about undoubtedly and not able to see but knew that he was passing by was a person whose David heart came from compassionate and loving. So they did not say, and it kind of in a sense expanded now on some of the previous similar events. They did not say, Jesus they did not say, even son of David, they did not say, we want to see. Give us our sight. They didn't really articulate it, articulated it that way 
specifically Jesus knows what people want and what is cultural politeness a bit of hesitancy or whatever we may not articulate it but this heart a heart that David shows us that Jesus that Christ that God has for his people says to us what do you want me what do you want me to do for you Jesus don't you know that they're blind Jesus don't you know that's why they're calling you oh Jesus knows everything but he certainly encourages us to articulate it, to speak it out, to say, he that comes to God must first believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. But even if you don't articulate it in a way in which it would be specific, Jesus wants to know what your greatest need is. Is that concern? Is that loving? And is that caring? Lord, that I might see. Lord, that I might get to know you even better. Lord! Because I think there's something very key in 34. And going back to what I was saying in the beginning can be easily overlooked. And something that rings a little bit different from some of the similar things that happen in the healing of blind people in the gospel. As Jesus was moved with compassion and touched their eyes. And their sight was restored or given right away. They followed him. What do you want me to do for you? Give me my sight that I won't have to be sitting on the side of the road listening out or hearing your name. Give me, give us our sight that we might become your disciple, that we may follow you. Give me our sight that we might gain power to touch and heal others. Give me not just what as has what have me handicapped. Give me what I need 
to truly be your disciple and carry on your good work. I don't know what's going to happen to you in Jerusalem, but I know that if I seek to gain a, your heart, I'll have compassion and mercy on others. So give me, give me, give us our sight that we may follow you. So I want to thank God this afternoon because of the revelations that has come out of this. Many have been, many stuff have been written about these things, you know. We hardly ever invent the wheel in our days. Somebody has said something similar at some time, or maybe the exact thing, who knows, because as you pray and as you see the Word of God come alive and try not to scoot over and to gloss over and to pass by what might seem to be insignificant, but is quite impactful coming from the Word of God to us. Amen. God bless you and thank 